0: You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I am Troy Singer. He is Bart Kaler. And today, we talk to Luke Phillips, who is the Executive Director of Marketing at Pepperdine University. And as I try to think of a title or a topic that I would describe this episode that you're getting ready to listen to, I think overall would be practical tips for enrollment marketing. But if I'm being authentic, it's... This guy gives you a week's worth of information in 25 (laughs) minutes, and I love the way he does it. It is one of the most dense amounts of information that we have gotten in a short amount of time, and if I were you, I would get out your pen and paper right now, and he does it in a very enjoyable and energetic way
2: yeah he is Luke's great and uh, and I, he's he mentions at the beginning he's been a long time listener to the higher ed marketer podcast. and he brought his a game. I mean, he was like, hey, if I were somebody in the shoes of higher ed marketers, this is what I would want to know. and uh, he uh, he does a great job. and as as Troy mentioned, it's a lot of really pragmatic practical advice in a in a very dense package, and so um, yeah, you might want to you might want to bookmark this episode and be sure to you know download the show notes and the uh, and the and go to the website for the transcript. There's some really really good uh, information here.
1: Here is Luke Phillips of Pepperdine University. Luke, you are a friend of the show, so I know you know what we're going to do from the very beginning. If you would please share something that you've learned recently that you would deem fun or interesting to share.
3: Yes, happy to do that, and just want to quickly say hey again to you, uh, Troy and Bart, and thank you again for having me. Uh, I am a fan of the show. Like you said, I've been sort of a fan since you first started, so looking forward to the conversation today. And yeah, there is something recently I learned It actually has to do with time zones. So I'm actually from North Carolina, and then went to college in Florida, spent about 10 years in California, now I'm in Arizona. And some may know that Arizona doesn't observe you know daylight savings time, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, So there's, we always are on the same time. So half the year, we're like mountain time, technically half the year Pacific time. Um, And I just assumed there have to be other states that do this too. But after looking it up, you know, found out, no, it's just, uh, just us. Um, And the the interesting fact though, that I learned, I thought, well, why is this? Because I'm having to adjust my calendars with my colleagues who are in California and found out that it really just has to do with that kind of extreme heat we get out here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. especially in the summer. And if we were to spring forward, you'd still have like daylight and extreme heat at like 9 p.m. So I imagine that would you know, cause a lot of difficulty putting kids to bed and all the others. So interesting how Arizona kind of does things their own way.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I certainly find it interesting because I knew Arizona didn't change, but never knew the reason why. So thank you, Luke. (laughs) And Luke would love for you to share a little bit about Pepperdine University, which is a wonderful institution that you serve.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's a wonderful place. And, um, you know, founded by George Pepperdine way back in 1937. And he just, I think, had a wonderful vision to create a university committed to both uh, academic excellence, but also Christian values. And it. some people don't know this, but it was actually started in Los Angeles near downtown and then later moved to Malibu around the 1970s. And that's what everybody thinks of when you hear Pepperdine is the Malibu, beautiful, highly rated campus and mm-hmm. everything. And, um, and now it's grown to over 10,000 students between the Seaver undergraduate right there based out of Malibu and then the four graduate schools with campuses all over Southern California. We have campus in Washington, D.C. and then a significant international footprint now um, as well. And and then my role is in marketing and admissions and things related to growth, growth of enrollment. And I've spent most of my time within the Graduate School of Education and Psychology, which has recently become actually the largest of the five schools. So I do a lot of collaborative and consultative type of work with other schools as well.
1: Thank you, Luke. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast to speak to some of the growth and success that you've had in growing. And I think if the numbers are near correct, uh, when you first started, or maybe a couple of years ago, the enrollment for your part of the graduate school was around 1,500, but now it's grown to over 4,000. So Bart and I was like, well, we would really like to tap into your wisdom and find out some of the reasons. And in our previous conversation, you really emphasized that you stress or emphasize strategic thinking and a higher view versus really getting into the weeds and being more tactical for a large growth. And would love for you to unpack that for us and the listeners.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And you're right. We started off probably about 2017. This graduate school had about 1,500 students, um, and then it started to really grow. And then I, I joined toward 2019 going into the enrollment for fall 2020. And it, it just, it really started to take off quite a bit um, around that time. Um, got into the 2000 then 2500 then 3000 and now we're over 4000 students. Uh, a lot of that growth did come from our online psychology, which is managed by an OPM, you know, separate partner. So a lot of, especially in the clinical psychology side, where we are the number one school in the country in terms of number of students taking uh, programs with us. Uh, but the on-ground side saw a lot of growth as well, but we, we maxed out capacity seven of our 17 on-ground programs in 2021 were maxed out. And um, so, but to your question, um, I'd say it did have to do with that online and some of that growth, but also just really wonderful leaders, a good dean, associate deans, program chairs who were receptive to the idea of, like you said, that strategic thinking and not just thinking about how do we package up these programs in their existing form in front of the right people at the right places in the right times. But how do we look at the product itself and think about what other products are out there that may be needed in the marketplace? Um, and then look at the career trends and how can we think of ourselves as as not just having students as our end user, but it's really those employers who have needs and they need students who are trained and prepared for the fields they're going to go into. So no real silver bullet, but really thinking strategically like that at, at the very beginning, using a lot of research, market research, and then executing really well um, in terms of both marketing and our admission strategies, you know, kind of down the funnel too.
2: I think that's such a great point, Luke. And I really like the fact that you're really stressing that idea of being strategic. Um, you mentioned, you know, OPM partners, a lot of people have those different kinds of partners. And I think too many times the, the leadership of the institutions kind of think, oh, it's just to set it and forget it. And, you know, we've got somebody else doing that. We've got, got somebody working on that. But I think that the fact that you're kind of bringing up is that you really have to be strategic about it. You have to really think through that. And I really loved your comment about being that the hard work of doing the research, understanding it. I mean, certainly with a school like, uh, you know, a graduate program in psychology, we know that with mental health kind of being something that a lot of people are talking about, you know, it's in the news after after the pandemic and the COVID that we're kind of seeing the results of that. And especially with uh, a lot of the challenges in, in our in our schools and things, that is a growing area. And you guys have been very strategic in that. And I really think that, you know, being able to really do the research and figuring it out. So help me understand a little bit about how you're doing that. I mean, you're actually doing the work of the research, but what tactically does that look like? I mean, what are some of the exercises that you and your team are doing?
3: I love how you say that sometimes we think it's set it and forget it. Because that, that definitely resonates uh, in my experience, but it's not. It's um And it's not that for any part of what we do. It's not to set it. It's always new things and it's certainly not to forget it because we're always adjusting the things we have and iterating and trying to make it better Uh, but to answer your question around uh, specifics around research yeah we really want to understand the deep data around our market and what's going on with our students and so we obviously gather all the enrollment statistics enrollment over time new student versus returning and admissions yields all down the funnel i also look at um The industry, because that's what really tells us what are the places in the industry where we need to move and to be present, and we want to understand salary and education levels, projected job growth, the education levels that are required. If if no part of that industry wants a master's degree, maybe we don't need to be offering a master's, for example, or doctorate. Um, Companies where graduates end up being employed and the percentage of those uh, who are going on to get employment really helps, and the industry analysis. And then looking deeply at market. So that's a lot of the iPad data is a really great resource. And um, the National Center for Education Statistics to be able to say, here's those market dynamics, the size over time, uh, how marketable is this program uh, as well. I like to look at total completions per year versus total programs in the market and how those kind of changed over time. Um, Another category would be competitive. So we're doing a really deep dive on our on the, those who are in that landscape and what's their units and length and cost. And um, even to the detail of color coding the course listings to say how are we uh, offering, right. what are our courses we're offering and um, how many are, are we offering on that topic compared to what everyone else is offering? Are there any courses we have that no one else is doing and why do we have that, that course? Um, and then another right. one that's really big is the uh, target market so we want to know the detail of those students and what's the drivers, quantitative, qualitative, age, ethnicity, gender, location maps, uh, new student surveys to gather more information from them. And then deep diving on kind of really the digital atmosphere and what's happening in, in digital and getting a good sense of that. That's kind of like the standard things we always do. But I've found having done research for numerous programs, it's never the same. And it's kind of you know something fun that, that I enjoy. And it always is a little bit different you know, looking at, for example, our master's in teaching is going to have single subject and multiple subject and special education and people looking at becoming a high school teacher or something, whereas our other programs are going to be a little more straightforward. But yeah, those are some of the things we typically look at.
2: You covered a lot there. I wanted to kind of make sure that we pause for a second, because again, you and I've talked before, and I always bring it up to a lot of our guests is that we've got a very wide range of listeners on the show. And so You know, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, folks like Pepperdine, we've got folks like, you know, big R1 schools that are, their marketing teams are listening and, and they're thinking, yeah, I can go to institutional research and have them pull some data for me and I can look at that or I can call our partner XYZ consultants and they can run that for us and, you know, we can write them a check at the end and then the other little tiny schools are like, Hey, it's just me and the frog in my pocket, to quote Tim Tim Fuller. He likes that phrase. How in the world would I do that kind of research? I don't have the budget. I don't have the staff. But a lot of what you said is just kind of publicly available research. I mean – IPEDS is a government, uh, you know, Department of Education website you can go to. You can get some of your research there. You talked about some national statistics, um, clearinghouses and places like that. This is public data. It's it's a lot of web searches. It's a lot of just, you know, and, and those surveys. I mean, it doesn't take much to put a SurveyMonkey survey together to, you know, survey some of your current students doing some, you know, admitted student research. Um, there's tools and techniques that you can do. And so, you know, if you were like on a desert island, Luke, and you were like, I'm going to have to pull some of this together, what are some of those places that you might tell somebody that, hey, if you can't do everything, at least go to these three places and, and pull some of this?
3: Wonderful question. Yeah, there's there are so many places, and and there's no special thing we subscribe to at all to gather it. Uh, you know, we, we are able to get this all with publicly available information. So, for example, all of ind- industry analysis are things like Board of Labor Statistics and uh, salary.com. If you want to know salary and, and Board of Labor Statistics will give you like projected job growth and things like that. Uh, the surveys for incoming new students are great. Great to ask questions like, how did you first hear about us? What are uh, of these different factors? Which of these were most important in your decision to be with us? I also like to do um, surveys for those who were accepted, but do not end up continuing. They, they choose a different school. So we ask questions, you know, thank you for letting us know that. Now we'd love for you to fill out the survey to tell us why. What are what were these factors for you two? Um, the IPED and National Center of Education Statistics data is a little harder to learn, but it is, it is publicly available. And just watching a few YouTube videos on that, there are great people out there in the higher ed industry who have already walked through how to do that and pull that data, especially on completions per year. That's really helpful. Um, competitive analysis, you really can use uh, the internet and look at the, the websites of the schools that you're hearing about. And if, for example, that one survey where they say, here's where I went instead, now you know who some of those you know competitors are just from that and what you're hearing on the phone. Who phones you need with, to go look at. Yeah, yeah, your students. and And target market, I think a good place to begin is what I'd call kind of an internal analysis. You know, it's very likely that the students, what they look like now is what they're most likely to continue to look like. And I always say it's easier and more cost effective to go from 80 to 90% than to go from zero to 10. So start with what's your 80%, what are the students looking like now? And gather their uh, feeder school information uh, through the transcripts is a good place to gather that. Uh, and then another quick tip I'll give, I have found that graduate assistants really help. <laughs> so just getting as much graduate assistant, to talk to your financial aid people and they usually can give you one or two uh, assistants. And if they're master or doctoral students, they're gonna be wonderful at gathering data and it will be a win-win for everybody cuz they're getting
2: that experience too. That's great. I really love how you talked about that and and I guess the next thing too that as as we kind of finish up this part of the conversation I'm guessing, too, that once you do all that, de- that, that gathering of the research, you're kind of distilling that down into some key bullet points for your strategy. I mean, you're not just kind of you know, plopping a three-ring binder on the table in the marketing team meeting. You've kind of summarized into kind of, hey, these are some of the strategies that we're going to build based on that research. Tell me how that process works. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, great point. And absolutely, because if you did pop that three ring binder down, you know, it's not going to be looked at or nothing's going to happen. So you have to have strategies around how you now present that the key findings. And so it does end up being a 60 to 100 page, you know, slide deck. Uh, But and on each one, I have really key insights pulled out. So I do call out boxes and things like that. I like to do summary slides to say, if you don't want to look at the whole competitive analysis, here's the competitive analysis summary you know, and then target market. Here's a slide in one slide with icons and other things to make it interesting. I'll say, here's what that looks like. Here's the demographic geographic, and you can do, um, creative things like infographics and things to be able to display that information better. Um, I also like to do kind of a, I really like the SWOT analysis. I know that's kind of a standard in marketing that Mm -hmm. you kind of strength weakness, but after you've done all that research, you can really boil it down to what are our strengths based on all the things we've learned mm-hmm. and our weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And that tends to be a one that tends to be well-received. And if, and if I'm telling um, a leader, what slide of this whole deck should you focus on? That's usually one I'll point to. I'll say, here's the page number, go to that one page, look at the the strengths we have and our opportunities and they're all laid out in like bullet point form right there. Uh, but that, yeah, that is a really great question. And, and it's not enough just to do the research. You have to be able to, to find the insights and, and what's going to be most actionable, and you got to understand your sequence of moves in terms of what are we going to start first? Because there's a lot to do here. You know, a lot of things that will come away with, and what are at your institution? Some things are going to be more difficult to to deploy than at other institutions. So, what are the things that are the lowest hanging fruit for us in our situation, and, and move from there?
2: That's great. Thank you,
1: Luke. I think you started talking about uh, deploying, and I think that would be the point when marketing starts working with admissions. And maybe it's happened before that point, but if you can kind of take us there and the mindset of the partnership between marketing, who is getting all of the top of the funnel students and now bringing it to admission. Can you show us how that works at Pepperdine?
3: Absolutely. And, and that is a really important topic because a lot of institutions, you know, marketing has always been sort of separate a lot of times, you know, they're doing their own thing and admissions are doing their own thing, but it's really this sort of three legged race, you're all in this together. And I've had this wonderful privilege, I don't know how I've been so fortunate, but everywhere I've ever been, I've been able to oversee both. And um, in the last at least three institutions I've been at, and it really has made a difference and been a real advantage. So for those who don't have that opportunity, being really closely connected with regular meetings and being best friends, you know, with the admissions director is, is going to be really critical. Um, so that's, a, that's the first part. And then the way I think of it is in terms of um, both kind of funnel communications and also funnel initiatives. So now we've got all of these leads, hopefully, for marketing. How do we get those leads to, to move in to be in the seat on the first day of class and what are all those steps we need to move them through in between from lead to contact it on the phone or voice to voice or an info session or something from that to started app to submitted app to completed all the required things and accepted and um, matriculated and enrolled and so the funnel communications I put a really heavy emphasis there on um, speed to lead you know getting outbound dials and text messages and Uh, chat and whatever form of communication you can. And then, of course, when you're looking at uh, international students, you got WeChat, WhatsApp, and all the other types of of apps you need to be involved in. But that speed to lead and then the rewarming, so those who have gone aged, who never got contact, how do you rewarm those and have a good strategy for that? Um, And then down the funnel. So like our admissions team, we go, our, our standard is 21 days. If someone's an active student who hasn't said they're not interested yet, Um, they get a call and we we call it the trifecta call voicemail with email and text message every about 21 days. We find four weeks, four weeks is kind of long. Two weeks is a little aggressive. We give it about that time. And every enrollment counselor, enrollment officer is scheduling that next call while you're on the last call. So let's go ahead and plan. We've talked about, you're going to get your transcripts in and let's, let's do that. Um, I also would say not just contact but there's a lot of other funnel initiatives whether it's the software you're using your scholarshipping strategies uh, your deadline setting you know i like to say earlier students are more students so if we can get students in with um, good value we like to do a good application you know scholarship if you apply by this date um, and those kinds of things so uh, value plus urgency always equals conversion. And the more value and the more urgency, the more conversion is what I've found. So let's do this quickly and let's do this uh, in a seamless way. And the last thing I guess I'll say, there's, there's endless, there are endless things, thousands of things you could be doing for funnel initiatives, but um, trying to remove those barriers that are in there because you might not need a 600 word essay to be able to evaluate a student's ability to, to be a successful student. And then trying to get acceptance review. Don't make them wait two or three months to get their decision. Let's make that decision as fast as we possibly can and eliminate unnecessary, you know, faculty meetings and discussions and some bring in career services and some bring in, um, a committee to to determine all these things. And what we do is we say the enrollment officer is the leader, they make that decision. And if they need to escalate to the program chair, they can. And then some programs, we do have interviews, but trying to make it easy for students and uh, remove those barriers are really important too.
2: Okay, well, I'm gonna say right now that we need to do a (laughs) mic drop here because I mean, <laughs> what you just did for the last five minutes is like mic drop we're done I mean it's incredible and I just want to point out a few things I was trying to keep up but I mean right now listener I would pause and rewind it five minutes and listen to everything that that Luke just said because he gave you gold and I, I really love the fact that I mean you just kind of outlined so many key points of the journey and the funnel, and and I loved your really practical advice, like the idea of 21 days. I mean, you had the, the trifecta of of the the call, voicemail, the text, and the email. Do that every 21 days to keep them on the line and keep them keep them moving down the funnel. I love that. I love your idea of value plus conversion. I mean, you know, actually, it was it was the uh, what? How did you say that value plus value
3: plus urgency equals
2: conversion? And then and I, I add yeah, on value, that the more. Yeah.
3: Of each of those, the more conversion, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, value plus urgency. So we talk a lot about using. Uh, psychology and marketing. So you know the fear of missing out, the urgency. There's all kinds of different things that you can use for that. But the idea you've got to do that with with value. You've got to have mm-hmm. a reason for that, and you've got to be you've got to be honest and and authentic about that. I mean, we're not doing urgency just you know call now and you know mm-hmm. the the old you know middle of the night uh, uh, infomercials. We actually are trying to do it for the for the reason that it's important that somebody moves to the next step of their of their funnel in their education so value plus urgency equals conversion and the more you do of both the more you're going to get it's 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 great and then i love the idea of removing the barriers and eliminating the delays i mean there's just so many good things in there and and luke i really i really do appreciate that cuz i mean that is kind of a there is just so much in those things that if if just if if you as a listener if you took that back to your team and you just implemented a couple of those you're going to see changes happening in your in your comflow and in your marketing and what's going on i think that's just such pragmatic and practical advice so when you when you think that through luke i mean Obviously, that's what you've been doing for the past few years, why you've been seeing that growth. And is that, is that part of why you've gotten a little bit more, you know, more runway to do more things? Because, I mean, that seems to be kind of a little bit, it's not the secret to success, but it is a big formula of success. Would you? How do you unpack that?
3: Yes, I think so. I think when we start doing these things and you have have some success at it, and then you do have to be conscious and careful because not every program is like this. There's a lot of programs. We get way more applicants than we could ever be able to sit. you know. But most programs, and this will be the thing over the next 5-10 years, most programs are going to be in a competitive environment and you've got to do everything you can. And and you have to really remove those barriers. I love what you said about the psychology of it. You know, that's why we do things early because if you can get in the mindset, oh, I'm already accepted here and I'm getting that scholarship. And to be able to go tell people and say that and consider yourself in, well, you're not looking anywhere else now. So there is a lot of the psychology, but we also want to be mindful of, I always say we want to grow, strengthen, and diversify our enrollment. So yeah, we're looking to strengthen the enrollment as well, looking to bring different, perspectives into those classrooms, that'll help strengthen the, the classroom as well. But to answer your question, yeah, I think after doing this for so many years and seeing success, um, yeah, it's opened up opportunity. And when you bring data and these things too, it makes the conversation so much easier to talk to a program leader or a dean. When you come with the experience and the data like that, um, I just find that, that they're mo- much more open. And I'll say that's one of the ways we've really been able to grow is, um, like I said, it's not just about taking the product in its existing form, but being able to go to leadership and say, how can we improve this? Um, what, we need to look at mm-hmm. curriculum, faculty, student experience, career services, the rankings we have, because all those things are going, going to make a really you know big difference. Even the locations like we, we've done as well is another really big one.
2: Yeah, it seems like it's a very iterative process with everything that you're doing where you are looking at you're looking at the product, you're looking at the promotion, you're looking at the way that you're presenting that, you're looking at the processes that are going into it. So a lot of really, really good things there, Luke. I really appreciate that. Luke, as
1: we close our episode, we'd like to know if either A, if there is a piece of advice that you could give that could be quickly implemented by a marketing rep, that's listening, or two, if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to offer before we end our show.
3: What we've talked about is some of the biggest things in all of higher ed that across all of history have helped institutions to grow. You know, I think the only things we haven't talked about are, you know, obviously new programs, how you determine those, because it's not always about just the programs you have. Um, your retention that you have, your locations that you're going to have to add on, moving things online, those kinds of things. But um, yeah, we've really touched on most of it. And I think uh, if if there's one sort of takeaway, I'll give sort of maybe an idea is that we've talked about a, a lot of outside the box thinking. So I would really encourage higher ed marketers to take time, you know, this afternoon or as soon as you're able to, to evaluate your efforts in a really holistic way. Um, Based on some of the things we've talked about, um, not just in terms, again, of how we package up our products in their current form the best we can, you know, but instead, how do we partner with institutional leadership at the highest levels with a research informed approach to our educational offerings and in ways that are going to lead to that long term sustainability Um, Because if we don't think that way, the way enrollment, you know, trends are going is going to be more and more difficult as the years go on for every institution. And I'll also add that that thinking you do will probably manifest itself differently, depending on your context and your level of authority and influence and those kinds of things. But I do think that no matter what role we all fill, there are always opportunities to think in new and different ways.
1: Luke Phillips, Executive Director of Marketing at Pepperdine University, we are grateful for everything that you've brought and shared with us today. And for anyone listening that would like to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do so?
3: My information is all there on the Pepperdine website, uh, pepperdine.edu. You can search it there or feel free to, to find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with anyone there as well.
1: Thank you, Luke. Bart, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share before we leave?
2: I do and I just um I just can't thank you enough Luke how excited I am about this episode this was just a really really good practical uh, this is, this is kind of like the kind of episodes we dream about, you know, where there's just so much rich, practical advice. I, I, I was doing a quick Google you know, look up here at the last minute. I was like, what are, the, what are the elements from the periodical table that are the most dense? And I was like, I can't pronounce them, so I'm not going to even try. But, but that's kind of what it feels like, is that we really kind of, uh, you did a great job of packing in some really good ideas. And I think that just the idea, you gave some really practical advice about research and how even if you're on a marketing shoestring, a shoestring bucket, budget for your marketing for your research there are ways that you can figure out how to do that And i think luke gave you some good ideas and some good places to go and then i think just your whole mic drop session about how to really work that com flow the the journey mapping out the journey taking some of the steps that that luke talked about with the um the 21 days, the uh, you know the, the different um, you know the idea of of using uh, value plus urgency equals conversion. Go back, get through, then listen to that. That was about 15:30 to 19:30 in the in the podcast episode. I really thought there was some really brilliant things in there, removing the barriers. And then I really liked that the whole idea, everything we've talked about today is just really strategic thinking. You know, we started with the idea of you know a lot of people do this you know set it and forget it that this has been anything but that. This is strategic thinking from day one till the very end and just reiterating, moving, editing, changing, you know, positioning. You're playing a game here. It's kind of like a soccer match. You, you're constantly a- adjusting the game as you go along. And, and I think that Luke really brought his A game to this. So thanks again, Luke. It's been a great conversation.
3: Well, it's been an absolute privilege to be here. Thanks so much again for having me.
1: We are grateful for you, Luke, and I'm always grateful for Bart. We're also very thankful for our sponsors, Kaler Solutions, a marketing and branding agency focusing on education, and Bring Digital, consistently providing double-digit increases in yield for institutions by directly connecting them to the devices of their valued enrollment funnel lists. On behalf of Bart, Luke, and myself, thank you for joining us.
0: You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.